there was a joke that came up very briefly when we last spoke that I thought was very funny about the idea of taking a flower on a date. Like you, you know, like you, you bring, you, you text your friend like, hey, do you want to go on a date? Um, or like, you know, can you come on a date with me? And your friend's like, yes. And then you've brought a flower and you think you're going on a date with a flower and your friend's just a wingman and, and your friend thinks that you're on the date with that. Anyway, and then it ends with, you know, the, the, the flower that you've bought instead getting invo- engaged in some sort of flower pot orgy in the centre of the table in the vase. I was trying to tidy that up as a skit because I thought, actually, there's potential in the idea of not understanding who's, uh, who's taken, you know, if you're going on a date or not and it being... <laughs> A little bit funny, with a bit of room of confusion. Did it clean up good? Did it clean up? It's well? all right. You know what? I was like to be honest. I've not, I've not written a skit in a little while, and I fancy doing so. So it's, 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 it is, it's okay. It's not the best. It's okay. It's okay. There is a um, a restaurant. There's a tandoori restaurant in uh, in the town I grew up in, which has diversified its business. So it's a tandoori takeaway, not a sit down, like a you know where there's like a counter and like a small bit of floor space. But they whip out a DJ table and a smoke machine, and it's a tandoori takeaway slash nightclub. Come like four AM. Oh, that's good. Now it might be because I was quite drunk at the time, but I do think the best pizza and best curry I've ever had were one and the same, which was a chicken balti pizza that I had in Preston. <laughs> it was so good. Oh my god! Like the tomato sauce was was chicken balti sauce. You still you still got the cheese and you know the, the chicken. It's it's absolutely phenomenal. Just like side alley, like you know eatery of sorts. Classic. It probably wasn't that good, and you know in actuality, but it was it. I, I I was living for it at the time. What do you What do you think of the of the statement? Super burgers should be wider, not taller. Yes, I think. Hmm. I think there is a cutoff point with height. I think realistically, if a burger is one and a half times or more taller than it is wide, you're, it's, it becomes unsustainable. I, I, I agree for the movement towards width. Uh, generally speaking, ideally in a good burger, you want to be able to get all of the toppings in a bite. Yeah. And you run the risk of not being able to do that if you go too far in either direction. So you do need a good balance. But I think a lot of it, for me, comes down to structural integrity. I do think you run into an issue, because obviously a lot of tall burgers will have like a little wooden skewer through the top, which, you know, works up to a point, but it's actually quite cumbersome to eat around, because you're prodding your nose into the top of it, or you stab yourself in the chin with the bottom of it. You don't, you don't want that to be happening. So I do think you, you need the right balance. I also, I think sometimes burger places get a little bit extravagant, in terms of quantity of toppings without thinking about actually does this work is it suitable for instance i love an onion rings if a burger has got an onion ring on it i just take it off and eat it separately it adds an awful lot of bulk for actually relatively little in terms of changing the flavor power that you get from that you know all ingredient bite and i think that's significant I'm not sure where I stand on the on five guys because they leave that decision up to the customer ultimately. Yeah. But yeah, they just I mean there's obviously that like you can get bacon cheeseburger, but really what there is is a list of condiments and toppings you can have on the Yeah. The thing yeah. is, but five guys is incredibly expensive unless you make use of the fact that you can get an absolutely ludicrous number of toppings and also infinite mayo and ketchup <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, 
work in a uh, in a restaurant above a Five Guys. So you, oh, that peanut oil smell though, it's so good. Oh, yeah. do you do you do you get a bit of that from upstairs or from downstairs? Uh, our, our restaurant is far too fragrant, fragrant, fragrant <laughs> to smell anything else. But we do do like um food swaps with them. So Ooh. like we'll send down a bit of our food. They'll send up a few burgers. Um, one of our managers obviously used to like work there, so for what we get pretty good like free food. Nice. Oh, what do you want on your burger? I was like, oh, I don't really go to Five Guys. Just get me whatever. And he got me one of everything on a <laughs> <laughs> on a double burger. Never seen a messier thing in my life. It, it wasn't a burger so much as like a collection of items at that point. What I would say, if you want to get the most out of your free toppings, that kind of thing, and the same goes for Subway, is that you list a couple of extra things at a time. So say you're at Subway, you're like, okay, sure, I'm going to get uh, meatball marinara. Do you want it cheese and toasted? Of course I want it cheese and toasted. I'm not a fucking moron. Okay? <laughs> now, you get over to the salad bar. You're like, yeah, can I get um, some lettuce and onion, please? They do it as if you're just getting lettuce and onion. Like, thanks. As well as that, could I get the gherkins and jalapenos? They do that. I'll tell you what, actually. I see some olives and sweet corn there. Do you want to... Just, uh, uh, yeah. And they're like, oh, do you want any sauce with that? So yeah, can you put a bit of ranch on that, please? Yeah, a little, a little bit more, please. I have seen... Perfect, thank you. I hate people who do this to me at the salad bar because there are people who do this. They're like, mm. oh, my order's really simple. I'm like, sweet, it's going to be like three things. And they're like, I'll have some pasta. So I give them like three scoopfuls of pasta. And then they just list every other thing on the salad bar. I'm like, come on, bro. You see this as a small bowl. It's unlimited anyway. Just tell me all you want and then I'll give you an appropriate amount and you can come back. You, you say that, Gemma. There have been times when I've been at Subway when I give everything immediately and they just put on like a tiny amount, like a single, a single sweet corn. <laughs> in the middle, in the middle of my sandwich. In a sandwich, they're the experts. Come on, bro. They're artists. <laughs> Just because they're called sandwich artists doesn't look like I've got. I, I spent enough time working crappy retail jobs that I have nothing but the utmost respect for people who work in fast food. However, I will say there have been times when, like, you say, like, yeah, I actually I want eight different sorts of vegetables on my sandwich. They're like. I don't fucking care, and just a little bit, you know, here and there. Sometimes, like, I don't want to. I don't want to be difficult about it, but sometimes you do have to squeeze a little bit extra out. Do you, do you think it might be the inverse of a problem I've I've certainly encountered working behind the counter at a, at a fast food joint, which is sort of like um, somebody will come in, uh, look at the range of items we have for sale and say, hey, can I just have like a, a normal sandwich? Oh. Like, <laughs> just like a normal chicken sandwich. And be like, what What do you want on there? Oh, uh, yeah, you know, just like the normal stuff. Because they obviously have this idea that you know what, like regularised what they reckon is a good sandwich. Do you reckon the thing is like, if an artist saying fine. this is what a regular sandwich looks like? Admittedly, I've never worked in a sandwich bar. I've I've always been like shops, retail, and a bit of teaching. I've never done like food food retail or food service. What I would say is, if somebody said I want a regular chicken sandwich, I'd be like, I'm thinking probably club, right? Chicken, bacon, lettuce, maybe a bit of tomato. Ask them if they like tomato, and then you sort it. I wouldn't put bacon in a normal one. Yeah, no, no, no that's chicken and sweet corn. Then simple. That's done. Sweet corn? What? Wouldn't even have chicken and sweet corn is very. Pretty... I'm just thinking of things when you go to supermarket or petrol station. In the sandwich aisle, things have got chicken in them. Club, chicken and sweet corn. Um, sometimes you just get plain chicken mayo. 
Ask them if they want that, if they're a coward that doesn't want to <laughs> with any sort of flavour. I say that as someone who, I mean, like ch- chicken and mayonnaise are like among my two favourite foods. Just fried chicken and mayonnaise, I would, I would kill so many people for. Mayonnaise is bad. Light mayonnaise is better than full fat mayonnaise. It's got a slightly sour taste and a, a smoother consistency, which I think is actually much better. It's a bit like having mustard mayo, but lower fat. So, you know, you win all round. Not, not to call you out on our podcast show that we do. Were, were you going to say, remember that time at Spoons where I put so much mayonnaise on a burger, on a chicken burger that it disintegrated entirely? <laughs> yeah. Because I was thinking that. Yeah. I was thinking, I'm aware I've said a lot of high and mighty, oddly sensible sounding things about how one should conduct oneself with the chicken, but with any sort of burger in terms of, you know, one and a half times height versus width. That sounds pretty like, oh, okay, this, this guy's thought about it. No, I'm aware that I'm also a huge hypocrite that will slather anything in mayonnaise. <laughs> I think that it's an image that will never quite leave me is... It was too much, I'm free to admit it. Dumping half a bottle of mayonnaise and then mixing it in with kind of like um, mustard on top of a burger. Then yeah. taking a, a bite of it and it spurting out of the hole left by the wooden skewer like a zip. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I forget. <laughs> I, I suspect, because this wasn't a Weatherspoons, I suspect at the time I probably had quite a lot to drink. Oh, we also, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, will, I will not deny that, like, I, you know, I feel like I am less so these days, but have historically been something of like a, of a mayonnaise fiend. Matt said, "If you get to me to get me to a KFC, I will I will take as much mayo as they can give me with that because fried chicken and mayonnaise is just it's just a powerful combination that you cannot beat." Look, if you guys want to start the podcast up again, go for it because like I'll just chime in where I can and where I need to, which isn't loads often because I didn't pay loads of attention. So, welcome back to part two of the Goose Dump finale, season one, Fever Swamp Menagerie with with Joe. Well, I'm happy to be back. Uh, I very much enjoyed, I suppose we, we roughly discussed episode one, um, or, or episode, technically episode 18, uh, in episode one of the two-parter, but I'll level with you. I don't really remember where the cutoff point was, because the very legitimate means that I used to access uh, Goosebumps <laughs> um, had them double build. I don't, I don't think we even got up to the end of that first episode no. in the last one, because we only, we only introduced Vandal the dog, I think, by, yeah. by the end. But we can edit this so it sounds like we did. Or we could just be honest with our audience and say, hey, guys, in the second part, we're going to steamroll through (laughs) three quarters of the material we had planned. I remember watching this because I was watching a 45-minute video and I got to about the 22-minute mark and I was like, there doesn't seem to be a reasonable cutoff point here. But at the same time, there were several points at which something would happen. And, you know, classic kind of not very well-edited TV show format, um, you know, they would just sort of arbitrarily cut when something was about to happen. Like, you could argue, oh, it's suspense to carry over from the advert break, but oftentimes I find that when, when that happens to me, my dislike for adverts just means that I turn off. Like, this happens quite a lot. If I'm, if I'm watching, like, a YouTube video or a stream or whatever, and I get an advert before it, I will close the tab. I'm more interested in not watching an advert than I am in watching whatever I initially clicked on. So, sort it out, advertising. What a nightmare you are for the modern world, Joseph. That is. Oh, I'm, I'm a real agent of chaos. <laughs> By which I mean, you know, a bit petulant, really, I guess. <laughs> no, I mean, I've, I might have said this on the show before, but I'll say it again. If YouTube asks you which of these products you've heard of, like Coke, Fanta... I love these quizzes. Tango. 
It is a legitimate form of protest to say that you have never heard of Google. I think that is... <laughs> I think that is... A- yeah. I, well, think, like, I like uh, I like turning off personalised ads for everything, so you get things that is not at all catered to you whatsoever, but that doesn't mean nothing and make no sense. Why are you making shopping harder for yourselves? I think my <laughs> my irrational like gut. I mean, like, I get that adverts work and are also kind of a necessary evil. I still find myself so irrationally angry about them. But I think on principle, I probably wouldn't. That I can't think of anything. I mean, obviously, this is probably part of how advertising works. I'm not immune to advertising, obviously. People that say that are fucking morons. But I do think that... I, I can't recall a time that I've seen an advert and thought immediately, oh, I've got to go and buy that, yeah. You know, because I thought it looked cool in the advert. Normally, my overriding feeling is I'm upset because the thing I was doing has been interrupted by this, and I don't care. I simply do not care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I remember vividly being sort of like 12 years old and being in a cinema and seeing like a, a film. I think it was before the before the Dark Knight, weirdly, the second Christian Nolan Batman film. And there was an- Those who aren't familiar with the Dark Knight, one of the most famous films <laughs> of the year. That's the second one? Yeah. Why have I only seen that one? Batman Begins is also very good. It's quite formulaic, but it does a really good job of like setting things up. I'm not like a Nolan fanboy. I think he's good, but generally he's quite cold. But you know, Begins and Dark Knight are both they're both solid films. What was the trailer for? Uh, the trailer the trailer was um, an Australia beer advert. Oh my god! With a song by like Billy the Idol on it that made me truly emotional and nostalgic for something I could never have been of, uh, never have been nostalgic for because I was never there. And I remember being like twelve years old and thinking, "Man, this is just not uh, it's not sustainable." <laughs> uh, it was it was quite a, it was quite a complex thought that it took several years to pass out for me. Like this is well, wrong. Beer <laughs> advertising is is weird because beer, beer status is quite regional. I discovered in a way that I I didn't really get. So in the UK, I think we generally think of Stella as being not a particularly classy beer, colloquially called wife beer, right? Because you think of the type of man that drinks cellar. I don't know why, but that is that is a common nickname for it. I went to Chicago once, and there was an enormous billboard with Eva Longoria holding a bottle of Stella, looking very <laughs> fancy and glamorous. And I was like, you've got this beautiful actress who's advertising a beer that I only know was like just pure trash, <laughs> as if it's like the best thing in the world. You know, it'd be like if she was like there holding like, you know, for a, fo- a Foster's for us, you know, it's like another one that you think of as being kind of like a trash beer. Although when I went to Australia, I don't think I ever saw any Fosters available on tap anywhere. I, pr- I presume they don't have Fosters. I, I don't like that. The, the local, like, it depends where you are. Like, 4X is brewed in Brisbane, and that seemed to be their, like, you know, local, like, crap beer. Well, they actually, quite, I mean, I thought it was quite nice, but I think, like, it wasn't, like, held in high regard. Americans are weird about cider as well, aren't they? I feel like American advertising around cider is all like, oh, having a classy drink with your friends. Oh, what adults? Look at our special glasses. Yes, I think it depends. It depends where in the UK you're from. Like, for instance, if you're Devon, born and bred, like Gemma, you know, very much it's like people drink cider, you know, all the time. It's just, it's just, it's just water, basically, right? Whereas I feel like maybe in other parts of the UK, it's slightly, you know, it's a bit more of a novelty drink. I will punch you. I only said that because you've got your mouth full, so you couldn't respond. (laughs) (laughs) I I was on a radio show recently where this was one of the things they were talking about. It was like um, because they've just. There's been a study recently that um, 
someone was like, don't worry about playing video games during lockdown, it's good for you. And I was like, yeah, definitely. Because, like, I don't know about you guys, but I would have definitely gone insane had I had to continue having, like, Zoom social calls without any games to do. Because no one's doing anything. <laughs> like, you run out, oh, what have you been up to? Nothing. What about you? Yeah, also nothing. Cool. I guess we're both following the law. Um, the, the thing, the thing for me is that, like, I spent much of my life, so, you know, like, when I was always in school, it'd be like, I spent, like, three or so hours after school playing games with friends online, right? I wouldn't like to call myself a gamer, because, frankly, that's a lot of connotations, but I spent a lot of time playing <laughs> games and that kind of thing. At the very least, just, like, chatting with friends after school, that's fine. Um, but I find it really annoying that, like, other people that would, you know, typically, like, have colleagues to talk to during the day or whatever, you know, will reach out and be like, we need to have a catch-up, we need to have a video call, and I'm like, I don't want to be rude, but buddy, if I were interested in calling you before, I would have done. And <laughs> you end up in a difficult position, especially when like, people put together quizzes. And I like quizzes. Uh, I, I've done, I do quite a lot of them. I enjoy them. Um, the thing is, a lot of people don't know how to put together a good quiz. And it's, it's just, like, you know when somebody gives you a bit of their writing to read and like, you can't just say, this is dog shit. So you have to, like, you know, you have to, like, wade through it and be like, uh-huh, I've what a great use of not punctuation. Um, <laughs> or, wow, I didn't even know that so many adjectives could go together. That's eight in a row. Um, <laughs> you know, like, but with, with quizzes, people you know, put together what they think are interesting bits of trivia, and they aren't, and you know, expect you to sit there for like eight rounds of it for like an hour and a half. And it's, it's, it's difficult. I'm like, I don't set quizzes myself very often. But like I've done enough by people that know how to set quizzes that when you see people that don't, you don't think of like writing quizzes as a skill, I guess, typically, as the average punter. It definitely is, because I've done a lot of my friends' awful quizzes and it's so boring. And like you end up in a position where I was doing like two a week for like two months. And that's more than I could sustain. Especially because like I don't care anymore. And it was so upsetting. I was like, I I, you know, I I didn't like think of myself as much of a quizzer i guess but i'd always liked i'd done a lot of like trivia type things in the past like at school and at uni i'd done i'd done a lot of like like quiz competitions i guess uh so when it came to like the ones that my friends had said like i don't want to be rude but this is this this is a bad question <laughs> and you you get into oh i hate i'm i'm as you you know obviously you two will know and i guess any listeners if they are listening to this part will know i'm quite a critical person <laughs> i try not to be like a huge arsehole but i'm quite nitpicky at times and it's really annoying right when you've got a bad question that could have multiple answers okay you provide a legitimate one they're like well when i googled it i only came up with this one answer and i'm like yeah but i've still answered the question correctly you're just you just didn't look at what the answers could be you're the wrong one anyway point is if you're a quiz answerer quibbling with the quiz setter they don't get happy about that at all they're not having a good time yeah. Even though they are objectively it's wrong. It's not a group learning experience. You're being <laughs> dictated knowledge from someone. Like, that's the thing. It's like, look, I'm sorry that you're, you're wrong, but you are unable to see that. What, what is the point of this quiz, right? Is it, is it to learn? Is it to be right? You know, what, what is endgame for you here, quiz master? You're, you're not even participating. You've, you've just thought of some questions and you're reading them out. You're not doing any of this part. So, oh, it breaks my heart. It's doing a bad quiz. It's genuinely upset. Like, it... I don't like how upset I get by bad quizzes. It brings out the worst in me. <laughs> uh, it sounds it. It's a, it's a circle background to gamer having connotations. This is quite a, a fun interaction that happened. Uh, uh, 
as as I've, I do a lot of sort of freelance stuff on the side. This is this is one of my many projects you're listening to right now. <laughs> listen, I'm a, a senior writer on a gaming website and got like a, a Slack, you know, where all the writers get together and like discuss what's going to happen. Somebody was like, "Yeah, we're all gamers here," and there was just like 25 responses of. No, we're not. No, no, I'm not. It's like these are all people who like set up and run a gaming website, and they are like, no, I will not identify as a gamer. I refuse. I think. I think like the thing is, generally speaking, I don't. For me personally, I don't like the idea of attaching that much of my identity to a hobby, to something that is like most of the time just like a mode of recreation. No. Yeah, and actually, I, I do think, like, politically as well, like, post-Gamergate and all of that kind of thing, you can absolutely understand why a lot of people would want to distance themselves from uh, chuds and other such weird right-wing morons. <laughs> Sorry, do you, say, do you want to say that again a little bit louder, Gemma? Just say that louder and also give an explanation. <laughs> <laughs> I was making a joke about how people are like, oh, I'm not a feminist, the word's being taken by bra-burning hippies. It's just like that, but reversed for you guys. No, because I feel, I feel like feminism is a good progressive cause, whereas being a, whereas being a gamer, I don't think really has sort of much in the way of ideological merit. Have you actually not come across these people? There's thousands and thousands and thousands of them. Oh yeah, so the, 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 any, anybody, like any progressive movement will have people have been like, okay, so there was a problem in the past, but it's done now, it's fine. But people are like, racism's over, and it's like, well, clearly not. I mean, mm. you, you could look at so many examples of institutional racism and see that's absolutely not the case. Same thing with this, like, you know, feminism has, has achieved its goals, and now it's, now it's just women want to be more powerful than men. And they're like, it's like, well, I mean, clearly not, though. Like, you clearly don't know. You're scared, and you're wrong. <laughs> End of, basically. But yeah, I think, I think you know, there's, there's a difference between being like, oh, I'm not a feminist, feminism's gone too far, and being, I'm not a gamer, gaming's gone too far. Yeah, no, because I, that was the joke I was playing off. I was like, these are different, but I haven't spoken in like 20 minutes, so I'm going to bring uh, it Oh, it was, uh, it, was a cl- it was a classic jape, which I accidentally read as sincere, and was <laughs> like, please, please don't say that no, being no, a gamer no, is a no, movement, no, because, no, oh no. no. It was all in jest. I know, yeah, I know it sounds like now I've freaked out because it wasn't in jest and now I'm getting fired for it, but I promise. <laughs> egg, on, egg on my face, real I tell you. Yeah, it's my like real opinions is um, feminism's a bit strong and I think we should all maybe calm down. <laughs> <laughs> my professional gamer opinion is that I, I want to move to Kekistan Pogchamps. <laughs> it <laughs> breaks my heart. Because of this one thing that happened in like 2008 on my Facebook. Like, I just got Facebook. Uh, well, I'd had it for slightly long enough that I was friends with one of these gamer boys uh, who was posting all like it was the time of um, like rage comics. So it was like oh no, everything was le something like le troll face and all that stuff. Like, the, ep- the epic, the epic, all this stuff. And I'd seen him doing that for ages. And I was like, right, okay, that's how he speaks. That's how to be funny with this guy. And then whatever it, I can't even remember what it was, but. I interacted with him somehow on some comment of something and I said, love something to like, to be fun. Not ironically. I was like, this is how we're being funny now is putting love in front of stuff. And he was like, oh, what the, f-? like, you're still using love, you like epic loser. <laughs> and it's just using the next level of rubbish. Epic fail, ruffle mouth. Literally that <laughs> stuff. And I was so upset. I still think about it. And I didn't even know this guy. Yeah. I feel like there's, there's probably a, 
a deeper reason he, he didn't like that. I feel, I feel like you... <laughs> I think just sexism, maybe. Um... <laughs> maybe. A, that. B, it's, it's a reminder of his sinful past. You saw through to, to you behind it, not usually doing that sort of thing, but like, but doing it purely to impress him. Is it kind of like... No, pr- purely to impress is very strong. It wasn't to impress him. No, 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 no. It was to fit in and to try and make him laugh. So Gemma was flirting with a gamer. I think it's what uh, we've learned here. Um, and in a violent misstep said, um, uwu... No, this is pre-Uwu, actually, isn't it? <laughs> Said, be me, be like Epic Gamer Girl, Uwu, what's this? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, know, you know, like, um, Sata's look? Yeah. Can, uh... No! What? <laughs> How do you both just be like, yes, obvious, next question? <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think what that bloke experienced was full anti-look as he looked behind the words to see Gemma underneath. Mm. I'd like to know Putting what's happening, a even a little bit. As would our listeners. It's, it's the idea of, like, it, the idea of the observer being observed, basically. I don't know. It's right. like... That'll do. I held up a mirror to himself, and he was like, you're not me, I don't like it. Yeah, I'm taking it. And I, I, did, I did a whole module last year on shame, which was a very, very <laughs> intense class, frankly. Um, <laughs> uh, but... Yeah, a lot of this stuff came up. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, big fan. Of- so cool, cool. I need it for a second just to imagine that on your module transcript somewhere it's just got shame. Like, shame and, like, the word the word is is it's shame and modern writing. Nah, I just want it to be shame. shame. <laughs> is there any shame in that episode of Goosebumps? Yeah, we should probably get back to talking about Goosebumps, which is why we're here primarily. Well, uh, I, I can, you know, the, the, there is, I suppose. Uh, in the sense of like the shame of othering and being othered, I suppose, you know, you've got like, there's the, what's interesting, right, is Eve Kosofsky Sedgwick talks about this and she's, she's a really good theorist, does a lot of stuff in queer theory and also on, on shame. Um, in the sense that you know, shame is, is something that's like shared and spread, right? If you were in a lecture and say like a guy, you know, came into your class blind drunk and just like peed on the floor at the front of the classroom and then left, you would feel shamed for having seen it he might not necessarily feel ashamed. He might do. But the thing is, even though you did nothing wrong, you feel ashamed. It's the act of witnessing that involves you in that. And there's something to be said, I think, for, you know, when, when they see the vagrant, the, uh, the, the, the swamp hermit, they do feel a sense of shame. The fact that you know, maybe partly because there is this man that lives outside in the wood, partly perhaps because of their own judgment of him induces a sort of shame. You know, their reaction to him, that reaction of disgust and fear, may then subsequently uh, induce a sort of feeling of shame for even having had those thoughts and opinions. Yeah, I'm going to give you a solid 9 out of 10 for bringing it back around <laughs> with that. That was, that was impressive. Thank you, thank you. When the father refers to the guy uh, as like not necessarily harming anyone or anything, there's no... They always frame it in terms of well, he's not doing anything negative. Let's carry, let him carry on, rather than thinking about how they can either help him or try and include them him more socially. It's more like, oh, he's a potential problem. We will leave him as he has not become an issue yet. Yeah, and I, I, mean, I think honestly that's indicative uh, of a lot of, um, I mean, attitudes to, to, to homeless people generally, uh, and also I mean, I guess people that fall under that sort of, I guess strata of society is the, the sense that like they can be ignored until they become a problem at which point they must be removed 
but that ignoring stage can last for a long, long time. So, you know, the dad, oh, yeah, I was thinking the dad actually, you know, good on him for saying like, just because he's out there on his own doesn't mean that he's some sort of monster. Good. However, as you say, there's no sense like, oh, we should go and meet or help this old man in the woods, you know, whatever. You know, there's, there's no, there's no. To integrate. It's like, oh, he's, he's out there separately. Good that he's out there separately. Let's just wait until he's a problem. <laughs> there's no there's no real compassion there you know almost like you had no real compassion for will so i mean like my 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 honest my honest thoughts on will are this i can absolutely understand why a boy who was living with a terrible curse on his own without family and no friends in the middle of nowhere would be initially hostile he's like he tests grady doesn't he you know, no, he, he, he does a bit. I, I agree. He tests, so he pulls that little Frank where he pretends he's got stuck in the swamp. And then, you know, it's like, oh, oh, ah, no, something's got me. Something's got me. And then, and then he pulls his arm out and he's it's like, oh, it was only a shoe. I didn't think and that was great. pretending. I think his arm got stuck on the shoe and the shoe was oh. stuck. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. He will explicitly states it was a joke. You should have seen your face. He, he, he explicitly says that. That was a lie. My initial reaction was like, why is Will being such an arsehole? He finally gets to make a friend and he's absolutely blowing it. But I also, I can understand why a person who's very used to being alone, you know, may be scared of that sort of intimacy that comes with friendship and neighbourhood, you know? We're all going to be like that when we're let out of the lockdown. We're all going to see other people and be like, how? You know when you haven't seen someone for a long time and you go a bit crazy and you forget how you interact with them? It's something like that. No, no yeah, I, I do. I, th- I think it's interesting where... I think it's, it's easy to abstractly think like, oh, people kind of suck, but actually individuals are all right. You know, my friends are okay. But typically I find that actually if you meet like a, a stranger out about, it's pretty easy to have a normal and nice conversation with somebody. So, you know, maybe, maybe actually I do think that there's some hope for people just to enjoy the, simple, the simplicity of, of pleasantries, I think. Could be. I think small talk could have a big comeback. I think <laughs> I think small talk has been ragged on by you know pseudo intellectuals or whatever for a long time. And believe me, I you know I also get bored of gossip. But I think you know having like a, a, a pleasant conversation with somebody in like a shop or whatever. Oh, what a delight! Can't wait till I get that. I I was locked in the house obviously for months and months and months after that first lockdown until like the fourth or fifth of August. I know, just the whole thing seemed truly bizarre to me after being sort of sat around. Like, overt advertising on the side of buildings became absolutely, like, surreal to me. Like, God, people actually put adverts outside of shops. I don't know why that was so so mad. I remember you being struck by that. You came home always like, McDonald's advert, yeah. (laughs) Just like the concept, for some reason, the concept of a two-for-one just just became this, this absurd joke. <laughs> yeah, my- I, I, I do think it's I think it's interesting as well that like the way that companies have integrated you know, current events into their advertising in a way that like it. Mm. But part part of this is like the issue that I take with advertising generally, which is that like I get why people do it. I, I just find it very very annoying. But I think it's it's kind of like an unwinnable scenario, right? When you see an advert that's directly pandering to like COVID or not pandemic to COVID, but involving it, it's immediately grating. It's like, oh, they're trying to cash in on this like tra- tragedy that's happening. But also, like, there's also a sense that they're trying to carry on as normal anyway. 
And that also feels very weird. The idea that like, I mean, partly for me, because I've been uh, unemployed mostly, you know, the, the COVID era, the fact that like people are still going and working is, is in a lot, a lot of ways very odd to me, especially because like within my family, uh, I'm at home unemployed looking for jobs, having recently graduated. Um, my dad, he, he's a, without going to too much information, he's, he's a head teacher and he's like constantly working incessantly like six days a week like eight to eight because of various government you know mm. bullshit decisions in terms of like what's going to be happening um and it's, it's just it's, it's fascinating that like there are some people with so so much to do and some people with absolutely nothing to do and very little in between yeah with, with the advertising thing i find it, it like the like how, what parts they're using matter because like i agree that most of it very grating immediately but i the stuff that's just like um like the things that are different practically day to day without using any of the emotion or trying to like sway you by being like, oh, you know, COVID. That's just like slightly practically different, I think is quite interesting in terms of like, oh, this feels like a bit of a historical event. Like, I like how this is different. Uh, it's quite soothing to me. It's like, oh, yes, mm. everyone. And also they will look back on this advert one day and be like, wow, glad that ended. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think it's interesting with that kind of thing, because you're talking about sort of like the, the emotional element of it. I think it's interesting because like, if, if you want to take a, a kind of reductive and, and somewhat cynical, but ultimately true view of basically any form of storytelling in art, it is, it is designed to manipulate you into feeling something for the most part, right? And when it becomes a problem is when you are conscious of that happening. Yeah. Uh, when you sort of you, you feel like oh they're trying to make me feel this they're trying to make me want this or, or hate this or whatever and that that's the point at which it it becomes grating to you but I think it's 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 interesting I suppose because it's hard perhaps to find a way around that uh, you know if if there is any sort of like advertising at the moment that is uh, having anything to do with like coronavirus or whatever it's inevitably drawing on something very large and very inherently uh, moving. Um, you know, so something that will make people feel things. So it's it's sort of inescapable, really. So it is by nature going to be very annoying in the form of adverts because it is in advertising. It's very upfront about the fact that it's making you want to buy something or whatever. But I, I do wonder whether there's like um, any sort of way around this. Like you know, for instance, like um, you know the the John Lewis adverts at Christmas. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people really love them. A lot of people really hate them because they sort of put a lot of effort into telling like a mini story. Some people hate it because it's like, oh, you know, it's still still commercialism that's just trying to make you feel something before they ultimately trying to get you to buy anything anyway. So it's still, you know, just as as morally bankrupt as otherwise would be. And some people are like, well, you know, if if, if you're going to advertise, at least try and tell a nice story with it or make, you know, somebody enjoy something. Well, what, yeah, whatever, everything's coming. Like, you're going to be annoying people wherever you are. Oh. It's, uh, it's, it's stupid, isn't it? Well, it's not stupid. It's like, it's such an like it feels really ongoing all the time like everyone's gonna have strong opinions about this because it's affecting everyone's life and it's still very raw for everyone because it's still happening i guess yeah i i mean i appreciate that i am in a lot of ways somebody that does have quite a lot of opinions i also think that the necess- like that the, the apparent need to have an opinion on everything especially everything that sort of seems significant or is currently happening is 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 not good um, I think it's fine to just basically not know things or not really have an opinion. I think there's a difference between not having a strong opinion and not caring. I think that's a significant difference. But I think not knowing how to feel about something is perfectly reasonable. I, I count that as one of the opinions. Is like because because it's like stuff's happening to people. Everyone by nature of how the world is at the moment is going to have some thoughts about COVID, and very easily like lots and lots of them could be. Oh, I don't know what to think about this. 
I'm going to mm. include that in my. I, I was I was thinking I was thinking less about like COVID, but more about sort of life generally. You know, be that sort of like politics or or drama or whatever. I think like there's nothing wrong with having a, a like a strong opinion. I also think there's anything wrong with not having a particularly strong opinion. Yeah. This isn't. <laughs> I feel like I, I I have not articulated this pretty strongly, and it makes me seem like a sort of like milk toast centrist, um, which which I would not describe myself as. But it, it's yeah, it, it's sort of I suppose what I'm trying to say here. Life is difficult and exhausting, and you don't need to know what's happening. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I'd, I'd quite like to reiterate, uh, I think, a statement I made on one of our earlier emissions of this. I'd elaborate on it somewhat. I think advertising is pretty bad, actually. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of it conceptually. I think, particularly in this, in where we live now, it is a way for sort of capital to metastasize real world problems and sell them back to us for cash. And I want to put that play out there again. Uh, if you saw the Sainsbury's Christmas adverts and they made you sad, then you are within your rights to shoplift from them. I think you should. <laughs> <laughs> if you yeah, no, I mean the Sainsbury's advert, whether whether dad's all sad because he can't spend time with his kids, you can you can take a pack of chicken. The goose stump does not condone theft. It does not condone any crime whatsoever. So, I wouldn't say that I don't condone any crime whatsoever. I think it probably depends on what qualifies as a crime. Where there are many many schools of thought, and I'm sure there are many other critical theory podcast you can probably listen to out there but here we talk about goosebumps and i'm bringing it back after that 27 ish minute diversion fucking oh, the ethics they're, advertising they're, <laughs> they're gonna try and, they gotta they gotta get rid of the dog now because that's what dad, our advert, that whole 27 minute thing imagine the money we'd be getting <laughs> having said that uh do subscribe to skillshare <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, like I think just advertise something because you think it's a good product rather than because you're being paid for it. It's just a recommendation at that point, right? Quick, quick, run with right, it. Um, There's a dog. Dog. Uh, like, oh, your dog's a right bastard. We're going to give it to the sheriff. And then, and then. I wish great. that was you making up a dumb word, but that's what they actually say. Yeah, yeah they, just, they, well, they, they, they say a few things. They, originally, I think they threatened to release him out into the swamp. Then they say the sheriff. Then they say the pound. Basically, places that you don't want a dog that you love to go. What about the sausage factory? I mean, that's where they make sausage dogs, so it can't be that bad, right? <laughs> make some friends. Yeah. Um, you might find a, a new dachshund. Who apparently are super mean, I learned recently. That I, don't, I don't know that I believe enough in standardised dog breed behaviour. Okay, cool. All right, I'm on board. We're not getting into standardised dog, dog like? breed behaviour. <laughs> yeah. They decide to sell the dog. Grady goes out with... They decide to sell the dog. Of give it to the sheriff, whatever. I missed uh, this. Okay. I'm paraphrasing. No, so the, the, the parents are very much like, we're going to give this to the sheriff. The bite marks on the rabbit very much look like they came from a dog of about yeah. of about Vandal's side. And then uh, Grady's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm heading out with my dog. See ya. So, like, it's, it's not, it doesn't really get concluded in any meaningful way. Yeah, I think Grady and Will then go for a wander in the forest. Swamp. In the swamp, obviously, the swamp. And uh, Grady gets captured in a big net. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, by, by, the, by, the, by the vagrant. The man who lives in the swamp. The swamp man. Catches the swamp, he's credited as swamp hermit. Um, what, swamp the swamp hermit. hermit. Yeah, I, have, I have at times been calling him the vagrant, but I don't know if vagrant is considered a, a rude term for, for someone in his position. I don't know. 
a swab hermit at least has sort of a, a certain charm to it. Are you familiar with, with garden hermits? No. There was, a, there was a craze, I think, I could be wrong, I think slightly pre-Victorian era, possibly like Regency, Georgian era, uh, in which basically uh, very rich people would have a garden hermit in their garden who was basically a, a, a person who would live in their garden and dispense wisdom and, 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 and sort of tell little stories. And they were like, oh, thank you, garden hermit. And then he would return to his little garden shack and they would... Uh, because it's your perfect career. I would, I would be a great garden hermit. We're chilling in the garden, you know, my, my rich, you know, landlady, I guess, is like, hello, Joe, any thoughts for the day? And I'm like, uh, fundamentally, I don't really believe in, you know, standardised dog breed behaviour. <laughs> like, oh, thank, thank you, <laughs> Joe. I'm sorry. I will, I will go and buy that staffy. <laughs> so, yeah. I say I've always quite enjoyed, sorry, the idea of, uh, you, know, you know, the picture of Dorian Gray. Yeah, I love it. You know, you know how uh, you can just be like a crazy eccentric who's paid by a rich person because they like you. Well, I think well, I think what you can be is a hot young guy um, in the pocket of big gay is basically how that works. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, yeah. I mean, good good for Dorian. Frankly, he's got it made. <laughs> oh dear. Another story, a bit like that, that I would recommend. There's a play by Joe Orton, which is also made into a very good film called Entertaining Mr. Sloan, which is uh, about a young man called Mr. Sloan who basically becomes a lodger um, for this, this kind of middle-aged woman and uh, her, her brother often comes and visits. And basically there's like a, bo both uh, his landlady, who I believe is called Kathy, can't remember her surname, and then uh, her brother, I believe it's called Ed, are sort of vying for his affections. Uh, and and it's it's great fun and he's he's Mr. Sloan is a very manipulative turd, but it's it's basically about you know what being a, a hot young bisexual piece of ass can get you in the uh, <laughs> I guess probably mid sixties. I don't remember exactly when it was made. Would recommend though, entertaining Mr. Sloan, very good. Also, I can't remember who it was by, but there's a the film has got an excellent th theme song, as it as it were. Right, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, I won't right. do it again. Back okay. to the swamp. <laughs> He's been captured. He's in the hermit's like shack, right? Yeah. He's still in the net. The hermit's just kind of like watching him squirm in a net in his house. He does. He does a lot of pleading, doesn't he? There's sort of a lot of like, you know, I I, I won't tell anyone. Slash, I'll do anything to get out. And a couple of things happen here. Is that first of all, um, he says like, oh, my parents are going to come, and they've got uh, guns, and yeah. <laughs> Biggest gun you've ever though... seen an elephant rifle. <laughs> no, that was it. Ever seen an elephant rifle? Yeah. And and previously, we, he has said to Will that his parents don't believe in guns. So again, you know, more more reasons that actually I think the parents are quite nice. Um, got a lot going for him. <laughs> more reasons that you know, hot dad is ticking boxes. I th I th all of the all of the writing in this is very um, utility oriented. I think. Yeah. Everything. Perfunctory. Yeah. Absolutely. But uh, what happens at that point is that the, uh, the Swamp Hermit then picks up a gun, sort of waves it in Grady's face like, I've got a gun too, bitch, and then hangs <laughs> it up on a shelf above him. You call that a gun? <laughs> this <laughs> gun. Yeah, it wasn't an elephant gun. I don't know what it was. It sort of looked like a hunting rifle of some sort. Like um, need needless to say, I'm, I'm sure that if, if Mr. Tucker came down the hill with a blunderbuss, you know, <laughs> things would, uh, would get ugly fast. Oh, he was already out hunting his, his dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is actually how this 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 uh, episode is a, as a prequel to the film The Deer Hunter, 
starring Mr. Tucker. <laughs> very different type of film. We also notice via uh, some handy, very obvious zooming in work that the, the, the swamp perm has got long, dirty fingernails and lots of arm hair. Yeah. Hmm. Methinks perchance a werewolf. <laughs> yes, this is very sus. Yeah, he's, he's, he's far too obviously a werewolf. Yeah, I think. Yeah, he's right. like, oh, well, this is the werewolf guy, which yeah. made, immediately made me think this man is not a werewolf. He's just gross. <laughs> well, so, <laughs> the thing is, the, 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 the better part of me wanted to think, ah, it's not going to be the obvious guy. The other part of me, uh, which I did believe, is going to be like, absolutely, the swamp hermit. Is, is going to be the werewolf because all the signs point to him being a werewolf and I don't believe that this show has the chops to pull even a single twist. See, at this, because I've watched way more Goosebumps than I ever wanted to now, I was like, right, every, every Goosebumps episode has a dumb twist. That's the thing. I thought at this point that the dumb twist was going to be that it was the hermit all along because it was so obvious. <sighs> the twist is that. Yeah, you're right. It was him. Yeah, the twist is that there's no twist. I suppose, yeah, yeah. At, at, at what point does there not being a twist become a twist? At what point is one, zero? At some point, let's assume that the parents were, were, were yeah, werewolves, same, yeah. and that's why they'd moved out to the forest. Oh, like, I, assumed, snacks. I assumed that Dad had adapted to the swamp, <laughs> but this will link into my theory later. No, I, I was fully like, okay, well, it's clearly Will. <laughs> <laughs> like, like a lonely bastard child, you know, got nothing else going on, got no family, it's him. But I, I, I did mention this earlier when, you know, obviously I spent a lot of, I guess, the last episode uh, ragging on Will for being a real dick. I do understand why um, a boy with no friends uh, and harboring a dangerous secret would, you know, uh, then go on to be hostile to, to you know, his, his potential new friend. I do, I do pity Will. In a way, but I also <laughs> think he's far the best character. Well, I do also think he lives in a swamp, and he is, he's, he's a being a werewolf. Emotions towards him. Is being a werewolf in in the Fever Swamps universe that bad a thing? Yeah, probs. Oh, I, I can't answer that for you. I'm just going to take a lot more moral searching in a universe that I don't ex- like occupy. Mm. But so what happens? And it's, it's it's important to state that this is, of course. On the on, on the day in which there will be a an eclipse at night, so the the moon comes out. Which point, that's the one. I didn't say which type because I get confused. So <laughs> the swamp hermit goes out of his hut and he looks at the moon. He's like, "Oh, bloody love this, don't I?" And then he starts howling. At which point, Grady uh, manages to escape with a pen knife that he had in his pocket the entire time. Apparently, who knew? <laughs> so yeah, he 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 runs out some sort of other exit that is not being blocked by the swamp hermit uh, and he runs home and he bumps into his mum as at this point he already had swamp fever uh, i don't think he does think he has swamp fever at some point it's a running thing i'll level with you I, yeah it, it's it's quite early on i think it's after the first time they go to the go into the swamp You're right yeah uh, the so-called swamp that you know he comes back and takes his temperature and he's dripping in sweat but it's like oh phew it's normal and i'm like well buddy if you don't have swamp fever something's gone wrong because you are dripping <laughs> absolutely dripping um you know in, in the little house it's probably just wet well <laughs> he's got the windows wide open he must be warm even if he's not got a fever like the boy is is toasty yeah but he's got a very he's got a normal reading on the thermometer. Well, I think that's well okay. boys are just gross, aren't they? Boys just sweat loads. 
I mean, that's a fair point. Boys are yucky. Yeah. Yeah. You you know you, you raise a good point, which is that like I, I feel like the two the two boys that you have uh, at present, you know, is is it a large enough sample size to say yes or no? Uh, I for one have never sweated in my life. I refuse. The two boys that you have at present. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do I have you both? I mean, it, within the context of this call, yes. Love it, great. I feel powerful. I, I can see, I can see the sweat on your forehead, Joe. Yeah. Oh, I hate to say it. I think it's a combination of like bad lighting and receding hairline. <laughs> Ollie is claggy to the touch. I, oh, I'm, I'm too dry actually. I need a <laughs> put me back in the ocean. <laughs> I need a swamp bath. To... <laughs> Please don't have a swamp bath in my house. <laughs> <laughs> well, a swamp. They'll bring the swamp with them and set it up in your kitchen. Why the kitchen? Why did you have a bath in the kitchen? There's a whole bath upstairs. She's the same in the kitchen. (laughs) This is silly. It's getting very silly. It is. It's absolute nonsense. You're goofing around on your own podcast. I'm a a busy (laughs) guest, apparently. I've lost my way. (laughs) Really. I'm in crisis. Well, we've just found mum back at the hut. So, yeah. So, Grady gets back to the hoofs. And he runs into mum. Now, I believe at this point, Emily and Papa are not to be found. Emily's Dad's, Emily's driven to town. Dad's doing hot dad shit. You know, who's, <laughs> who's to say exactly what it is? Um, and Grady, Grady bums into his mum. And, you know, his mum's like, oh, my goodness, Grady, what's wrong? I, as your mother, care for you and, and wish to know what's happening. And then Grady, rather than saying, uh, so I bumped into this old guy in the forest. He set up a lot of traps. Uh, he caught me in a net, then dragged me forcibly on very rough swamp ground into his hut and pointed a gun at me. Instead of saying that, what he does is says, it's a werewolf. <laughs> the man, man, man is werewolf. <laughs> right now. Which is really and smart, then, actually. Yeah. And then his mum says, I swear to God, Grady, you stupid little turd. I've had, <laughs> enough, of, I've had enough of this horse hockey. And, and that, that's, that's just about it, really. I, I, do, I do think, like... I spent a lot of time defending Grady. I think he is a plucky, brave, a bit thick, but ultimately good child. He, he could have explained that much better. He could have absolutely got mum on side. Like whether or not the man is a werewolf, catching children in nets and dragging them places is not good. He's, he's certainly a child catcher, if nothing else. <laughs> yeah, like, and again, I- Important points, you know, quickly. So before his mum was captured, so he was like, right, statement one, we need to get out of here. That's not going to cut over mum. Okay, what's the explanation? There's a werewolf. There you go. That's all the information you need. Time to leave. Yeah, he's, what he's done is he's gone, gone from like, you know, step one to step 39, <laughs> when he could have, in fact, you know, maybe filled in some of those gaps, any one of them. But what happens is that uh, they, they hear some howling. There's a bit of a ruckus and indeed a deer surges through the window um so surges it, what it is is there's like a deer puppet and they've slapped it against the window <laughs> until it broke it's all floppy it's quite funny really it's not it's not a very good oh. deer. yeah, yeah it's, there's, there's a lot of flailing um for for this little deer and uh and then they're sort of screaming like oh my goodness and they hear vandal barking and mum's like well clearly it's vandal which is obviously, this is, this is absolutely bananas to me. The mum is, I'm going to be honest, at this point, I think quite thick. They see Vandal barking at a monster in the distance. And mum's like, I, I assume Vandal is barking because he's delighted with his victory over the deer folk. 
<laughs> Vandal obviously got some wire cutters and uh, <laughs> made his way inside the deer cave. That, that, that's what blows my mind. They go outside and there's an enormous, uh, enormous hole in the, in the fence for the deer enclosure and they find a dead deer. And the mum's like, I can't believe Vandal did this. And Vandal is, is you know, like a dog with a, a jaw that can maybe open, I'm going to say maximum like 10 inches. Uh, and he's like demolished an entire fence with his teeth alone. It's clearly not, it's clearly not him. Because he, and he then, straight past this huge hole in the fence to pick up like a small plank of wood that has like a, a little nibble in it. She's like, here's the proof. That's definitely a small dog. It, it, could have, it could have been a deer trying to gnaw its way out when it saw the werewolf. Like, that seems more plausible than Vandal. <laughs> just, just, just going for it. But what happens... What name Vandal is? Have we mentioned this at all? Because it does need to be addressed, briefly. Oh, dogs and goosebumps, what a terrible name. I think, I think Vandal is an... Well, what's weird, and this is another bit of classic Grady dialogue that does not sound like it you know, should come from the mouth of a child. Says, I think we should call him Vandal on account of the way that he got in here. That sounds like an old Southern man, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like on account of, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't sit well in in Greedy's, you know, tween mouth. I mean, he's got the con. If he wasn't going to use those words, he's got the concept that the dog broke in. What would a child say? Ne'er do well. <laughs> <laughs> you've got, we've got a rast about around here. Buster, Robber. because he busted his way in. That's what a nineties kid would say. <laughs> I'm right. You're Buster. wrong. I, think, I still think I think Rustabout personally is a better name, but that's fine. I I, I feel sorry for that dog because that's such a bad name, and he looked so innocent. And <laughs> Wait, okay, look, tip. It's not the kind of name that I would go for myself. I think Vandal is an okay dog name. Personally, I don't think it's that bad. No, I don't like it at all because it suggests a crime. And if I want a dog to be doing a crime, I want it to be something funny. Funny, yeah. <laughs> Vandalism is funny. Like of all the of all the like, if you like called your dog like murderer, bad <laughs> arsonist, I would allow that. No, I want it to a dog be called fraud. It's, I mean, it's... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, calling your dog fraudster—that's pretty funny. <laughs> I mean, uh, the last dog on Goosebumps was oh, called uh, was called Killer. Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. They have a German shepherd called Killer, and it's so scary. <laughs> I think I think Vandal is an okay name for a dog. What once, <laughs> this is my dog. What, what, what happens is that Grady is like, Vandal didn't do it, obviously. It's the werewolf, you friggin' moron, mum. And then he sort of... They, they go to the barn. And he pushes his mum in the naughty stuff. He, push, he pushes his mum in the barn and <laughs> locks it with a pitchfork on the outside, which I've got to say, absolutely... Incredible move. No, that is like what? So like, scary for a kid to take upon themselves. Yeah. that like yeah, it's way there, scary for a kid. There to is think no authority that that parent has over that child. The kid, so, kid is a war unto himself. Yeah. And she wasn't even that angry. Like, can you imagine if you actually did that to your mum? Yeah. Oh no, don't, don't get me wrong. Like, I would not do it because it would cause irreparable damage in my relationship yeah. with my mother. Exactly. However, like, I so. This is where you see the shift in perspective, right? Again, as we talked about before, between like the, the child, childish fantasist who happens to be right and the pragmatic adult who ought to be right, but isn't. So obviously from the mom's perspective, it's like my shithead son who's got a dumb idea in his head about there being wells has locked me in a barn at night. I'm so mad. Yeah. But actually what Grady's done and his perspective is what I'm doing is I'm protecting my mother from this monster. Actually, he he's right. He's just been yeah. through a chain link fence, 
What about this wooden door is going to stop him getting into the What you see, you see, you see. run in here. So, I mean, it's, what happens next is absolutely fantastic. So we, we have a scene in which Grady hears Will screaming. So he goes to, to, to snoop around uh, Will's house. And uh, what happens is that at that point, Emily comes back and she's snooping around their house. And we have this nice parallel kind of who's, who's going to get found by the werewolf first. And I actually thought they did a genuinely good job of building some suspense there. I, think I thought for a long time. It, it did, but at this point, we, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, visual storytelling here in terms of what we see in, in Will's house. You know, the furniture is all tipped over, there's broken windows, mm-hmm. and there are like eight deer heads on the wall. And like, I'm not here to, to, to judge home decoration for, you know, groups that I don't understand. Maybe in, in you know, Phoebus Swamp culture, having lots of deer heads on the wall is good. I think after a point, having too many deer heads is a bit gauche. I think you can have like one as like a centerpiece. That's fine. You can have a couple, uh, you know, if you're like a keen hunter, like, you know, here are some of the biggest ones I got. If that's your thing, yeah, I wouldn't do it. It's a bit weird. But I get it. But yeah, exactly. But I feel like, you know, there are like eight heads up there. And I think at this point, it's just a bit, it's a bit fine. It's a bit tacky as much as anything, you know? Yeah, I think you do have to have like the, these are my favorite two. Maybe have them on rotation. You, you know? could have, I feel like you could have one like, grand beast that like was an impressive kill and then you can have two flanking it yeah and if and if you have if you must have more heads in your home leave them in the basement and swap them out occasionally i don't know a basement full of heads is giving off worse words for me i feel like you've got to just do a whole room like i i knew someone once who had a whole room just for taxidermy because they liked it what a a normal hobby that is put it all in one room put most of it in one room makes everyone slightly less uncomfortable Unless they're in that room. Yeah, I, th- I think, like, the trophy room specifically, it would yeah. be permissible. Yeah. Um, I still think it's weird. Yeah, yeah. We don't know American culture. Specifically that of the swamp fever, fever swamp people, you know. I know, I'm going to call... I don't want to offend our listeners either. If you well, have... they might be from fever swamp. Ten, ten deer heads in your room, in your bedroom, then that's fine and we still like you to listen. Yeah, guys, if you you might be a gun owner, if you might be a, a hunter, you might be a deerhead enthusiast, and that's okay. Yeah, like I, I think I think in principle, actually, ta- taxidermy is is kind of interesting. There's a there's a big museum near where I live, um, which is I think technically part of London Zoo. It's in like an old Rothschild house, and it's just a big taxidermy museum. I've not been there in quite a few years, but it's very cool. It's in a in Tring. I just, it, taxidermy gives me too many spooky vibes. Like, it, you smell wrong and you feel wrong, you know? What, the, the creatures do or the taxidermists do? Well, yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that is fair enough. You spend too much time around formaldehyde. Yeah, just, it's, I don't like the smell of formaldehyde. You develop a scent. Yeah. <clears throat> Smells of death. So, we, we reach a point at which Will, uh, you know, is, is evidently not in the house and, uh, and uh, Grady... Has, has been, yeah, Grady, Grady's not found him. And Emily, uh, uh, oh, she gets pounced by the werewolf. And we have a nice zoom in of the werewolf's teeth and claws. And yeah. honestly, for what I can only imagine is a fairly cheap costume, not terrible. Yeah, um, the monster was decent, actually. It actually wasn't that bad. This was okay. Yeah, I thought, I thought it was all right. So Emily's getting chased. She then runs to the, the barn that's been barricaded, takes off the pitchfork, runs inside, and then puts up the internal bar. 
and they're getting chased by the werewolf, who at this point, it becomes apparent, looks and operates a lot more like a gorilla. <laughs> now, it might just be because they are being played by a human, but the way it like it crawls onto the roof and, and operates its limbs is, is a lot more simian slash humanoid slash apish, I suppose, right? And uh, what's odd is that this is very clearly a flimsy barn. Uh, a lot of the sets, in fact, are quite flimsy. I'll say that much. The door shakes very violently. However, the werewolf gets onto the roof of the... I mean, if you, if you think about how dilapidated the house was, how dilapidated is the barn going to be? Anyway, it climbs onto the roof and it cannot bash its way through. Yeah, well, there, there must have been so many access points that it simply did not plumb for. And I think... <laughs> they want a challenge, I think. It, it did, yeah. It kind of gets onto the roof and, like, it's not really clear what it's doing. It sort of looks like it's kind of sometimes pounding its fists on, on, the, the, on the roof. Sometimes it's trying to pull up planks. It's not great. The, the, the werewolf does not have a concrete plan when it gets up on the road. It's just out there living life. Leave him alone. Well, I, th- I think that's the thing that we know. We, we don't know enough about, about the werewolf law here is how conscious, yeah. you know, where, werewolf will is of his actions. You know, it, so it, it is implied later on, I suppose, we might as well uh, continue the plot to get to this point is that the werewolf then leaves uh, as, as Grady goes stalking into the, uh, into the swamp, perhaps to go and find him, holding what appears to be a very thin piece of metal, uh, as some sort of weapon, but absolutely like it's, it's going to break if it hits a twig, let alone a werewolf. So he, he goes down there uh, and he encounters... He's, he encounters the swamp hermit. Whoa! He does. Is a wolf? No, no, he's been, he sees the wolf in the distance, but then he meets the hermit. And then there's a, a bang and a crash, and one of his traps goes off. And it turns out the hermit has caught the, the werewolf. So he goes off on it, he starts shouting, doesn't he? He goes, Yeah, and he, this is the first time he uses, he uses uh, English. He, he, first of all, he grabs Grady by the shoulders, and I can't exactly what it's something like, I found him. And then he goes up to the net and says, you killed my wife and daughters. And I'm like, oh, okay, wow, this is pretty heavy. Got quite heavy. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, you know, I was already feeling kind of bad for this guy, but now I'm like, okay, I get it. Um, although I do find it odd that like, I get he's been living in the swamp for a while. I don't know when he lost his kids. Will seems pretty young. Now, Will does say that werewolves don't age normally. So it, it depends whether or not he was lying about that. But the, the point is, the man seems to have lost a lot of faculties quite rapidly, uh, including that of language. And then he sort of half regains them as soon as he catches what he believes to be the werewolf is shouting at. But it's not actually a werewolf, is it? It is, in fact, one of the escaped deer. Yeah, that's the thing. He gives this huge, like, speech of, like, this vengeance. Like, it finally is my time. But he was just, he was monologuing to, to a sack of deer. I completely missed that. <laughs> this is why I had no idea what was going on at the end of this episode. It completely confused me. I still have a theory nonetheless. The theory could be what you experienced. It could be of my own creation. It might not fit at all with what actually happened at the end of the episode, but I have it anyway. Good. So well, what, what happens here is that the werewolf then does appear and just, you know, knocks the vagrant down. And suddenly he's going for Grady. And Grady, he's lying there. He's been knocked over. He's on his back. He's scampering away. And then, thanks to a helpful bit of foreshadowing earlier, we're not surprised to see the eclipse. Uh, and at this point, the werewolf is screaming. It's howling. It's staggering back. And at this point, Grady gets up. He, he walks over to see the werewolf. And 
Who is it underneath all of that horrible fur? Surprise, surprise. It was, it was Will. It was, was Putty Guillaume. <laughs> our, our, little, our little French neighbour boy. Yeah, it was, it was Will. Um, oh, and he's I like... I this guy. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, and, guess. Yeah, and he's like, Grady, get away. I, I can't control myself. And Grady's like, mm-hmm, yeah, okay, if that's what you want me to believe, you dick. Because at this point, like, I'm going to be honest, it's possible that werewolves cannot control themselves when they've transformed. It is also possible that Will is continuing his trend of being a bit of a dick to Grady. <laughs> what I really wanted to see here was a scene where Grady had to tearfully put Will down like a, like a sick dog. Well, it's interesting, right? Because it's, he sort of does. So, you know, what happens is that, you know, I think, if I remember correctly, Will retransforms into Wealth and Grady sort of pushes him down the, the hill that he'd previously fallen down, uh, in the ditch into the heart of the swamp, which is this sort of little, one of the few wet patches in this so-called swamp, this little green boggy area. Uh, and Will, yeah. Will the werewolf appears to be stuck. It seems he cannot swim and he falls down. And Grady and Van will just look on being like, yes, I've drowned a small boy. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and yeah, he just unbelievably dark for goosebumps. Yeah, death never shows up. It never happens. But no, today Will gets fucking drowned. Yeah, suffocates to death under in a bog. Yeah, and it's it's sad because like you know obviously I spent a lot of time going through you know alternating opinions of of Will. You know, is he <laughs> a horrible bastard turd boy, or is he in fact uh, you know uh, deserving of pity? Uh, a lonely outcast harboring a terrible secret. I think both can be true. However, it ends uh, for, for Will really, really rather tragically. And you know, Grady watches him die, doesn't, doesn't really get out to try and save him, but also like, are you going to save a werewolf while it's in the middle of being a werewolf? I don't blame him for not. Sort of. So anyway, they head back. Manslaughter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is, it is more manslaughter than murder. At the very least, like, he's, he's not preventing death. Um, and depending on your views of the trolley problem, etc., etc., you know, like it's 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 not good. So he heads home, and we end up uh, with sort of a, a sort of happy family reunion. I feel like mum and sister ought to be a lot more annoyed about him being locked in a barn for however long than they were. And then dad comes back from running whatever errands he did, and uh, they're like, "Oh, don't worry, we got the werewolf." I swear. I don't. I don't. I don't believe Grady reveals that it was. Will it's sort of implied that he might have done it, uh, like in the sort of the. I think he did because oh, yeah. the conclusion. Yeah. Uh, they were like, "Oh, there are there are no more werewolves uh, boys around, and I haven't seen Will for a while." So, so you I think I think he says specifically, and Will hasn't turned up. Yeah, like he's missing. Ah, Will isn't just like not hanging around anymore. Like officially being looked for and not able to be found because he's dead and drowned at the bottom of a, a, a marsh. Yeah. And I think, so, so what happens subsequently is there's some truly awful framing, and I can only assume that this is the subsequent full moon, um, is that the bed, so uh, Grady is in bed, his bedroom door opens, and you get a horrible, incredibly unflattering close-up of first uh, Grady's mum's face and then the dad's face. <laughs> they, and did, it's, they did look very wide in that shot. They, it's, it's an awful, awful shot. It really is. You don't want to start that zoomed in on somebody's face uh, in a, in, with terrible lighting and terrible angle and then sort of slowly pull out. Just not, just not good. Anyway, they're like, oh, Grady seems to have calmed down a lot since all of that happened. Uh, and then he, he, it seems like he's having a dream uh, in which he is, in fact, a wolf and does, does a big awoo. 
uh, at the end, it does a, bit, it does a big howl. But I think then a sort of similar thing happens again, right? Later on, where, where eventually, you know, there is, there is a full moon and, and Grady goes out into the night and, and does indeed howl at the moon, implying that at some point uh, in the altercation, uh, the kerfuffle between Will and himself prior to the drowning, he did, uh, he did in fact get bit. Or do we want to hear my theory? Well, I want to say another, very quickly, just, just, to, yeah. just to sort of tie that before. At that same full moon... There's the skeletal head of a wolf pops out of the swamp, and I'm like, holy shit, is Will a zombie werewolf now? <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that sets up an awesome sequel. God, I hope so. This is not my theory, though. That's my it. theory, should you care to hear it, and should you care to tell me this is what the episode was already about, Gemma, you should have paid attention. So, this swamp, swamp fever, is key to my theory, okay? Because the swamp fever is, in my eyes, like a selection process for, for, for the next Doctor. I feel like this werewolf runs kind of like Doctor Who. So there's one at a time always. Okay, we started, it was initially, years ago, not initially, but you know, the first one we know about, Swamp Hermit. He was the werewolf long ago. He killed his wife and daughter and then went mad. Once you become incapable of being a werewolf, the swamp fever hits the closest next boy, in this case, Will, and turns him into the werewolf, and you stop having werewolf like curse, but you do still howl because we see him howl several times. And then it's Will. He had the swamp fever, and now he's the werewolf. <laughs> Fine, whatever. He's killed his parents. Clearly, he's starting to become incapable of looking after himself because he's a little boy. So when next given the opportunity, the swamp gives the swamp fever to the next available boy, whatever Arlen's called, Brady. And then once Will meets his untimely doom, Will him, uh, Brady himself becomes the next... Oh, well, I think what's happened is you've written some charming and probably ultimately better, but wildly unrelated fan fiction. No, no. <laughs> no, because you see, Whoa, we also got the shoe out of the bog last time. So we know that yet another werewolf has been drowned in the same bog. Like, I did think, oh, is this a sign of where, maybe where the werewolf's been disposing of bodies? Like, I, I think there is some merit in at least thinking, you have to think about where this whole werewolf comes from. And also, what the point of swamp fever is. You know, it, it, I, one thought that I had was perhaps swamp fever, you know, induces hallucinations, in which Grady, having spent too much time in the swamp, thinks that Will is a werewolf and has in fact just watched a regular boy drown. That was my other theory. It might also explain why everybody else's reactions have been absolutely like, please shut up, you stupid child. Because they don't, they haven't contracted swamp fever, having barely been in the horrible mists. So that's that's another theory that I I thought was would be an interesting possibility is that actually perhaps Grady has just killed his only friend in the area. But I think you know it it does a classic uh, you know it, I, I think I you know I mentioned this last episode I think where if you want to be moved by goosebumps you have to do a little bit of legwork, <laughs> and one way that you could think about it is you know essentially has if Grady has the curse now is he trapped in that body forever first of all is the aging thing true is he going to be stuck as a kind of probably mostly prepubescent boy as the werewolf until the next boy becomes available well that's I mean that's that's going by your theory which you know uh patent pending uh let's 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 see if that one takes off um I'm, I'm sure the message boards circa 2001 when did this no 1996 wasn't it uh, this came out before any of us were born. Yes, actually, I did. I did look to see if there were any 
episodes that came out like around my birthday, but season one ended just before and season two started just after. But my fear essentially is that if Grady does not age, he's going to be stuck with that horrible haircut as a horrible preteen for his entire life. And also obviously, I mean, the main sad thing is that he's lost the only person that would ever understand what he's going through um, because he watched him die in a puddle. That is, so, that is the curse of the werewolf. The curse of the werewolf is, is that of being alone. It'll be the will when the next boy shows up. Don't even worry about it. What you, no, but the, no, but the thing is, like, if there is, if there can only ever be one werewolf, you know, will, will the other will will the other person understand? What do you mean? Yeah, like, say, say, say Grady does find a successor. Does his death is is his death necessary in order for the successor to to gain the curse? The werewolf. So yeah, he needs to either lose his faculties or his physical mm. body. I'll level with you, Gemma. I'm going to not ignore your theory as such, but I'm going to not treat it as canon. Well, that's very um, good, I think, and I would like all of my, my whims to be taken as the law on this podcast. I was, I was left with a, with a big question at the end of this. Will you marry me? <laughs> Too big. A little bit smaller than that, perhaps. <laughs> well, we, we get... I, I understand what they were going for. There was this weird hermit they were going for a Home Alone style. The old guy wasn't bad after all. Like this weird hermit in the forest is going around being creepy. But it turns out he's actually one of the good guys who wants to wants to get rid of the werewolf. But he did he did also kidnap a child. Um, it was a mistake, man. He can't see. Well, he didn't know. Well, no, yeah. <laughs> well, no, that was just another thing that also happened. Like he. No, yeah, that's the same was... trap that was up for the werewolf. He didn't know if he'd caught the werewolf or a small boy or a small deer. Well, no, and at that point, he did know that he'd caught a small boy because the small boy said, hello, please let me go, I'm a small boy. And, and then he just dragged the small boy into his heart. Like, because they like, got the, the fake out, like, oh, he's actually not a bad guy after all. But he is still a dangerous predator. <laughs> I think that's the thing. It's like, he's not, he's not a werewolf, but he's still a public menace. <laughs> I think he, he's the real werewolf. He's he, the... he didn't hurt him in any way. He let him go. No, but I still thought you shouldn't keep children in nets oh, no, in your no, heart. You know? we don't, Maybe he was gone. We don't know what would have happened. He if... might have given him tea. If I, personally, if I had creative control over this project, many things would have gone differently. But I think one of them would have been that actually in the, the end scene in which they're sort of saying, oh, I'm glad that werewolf's gone. It would have been nice if they'd actually just had the, uh, the, the, the swamp permit over for dinner. I think, like, he's clearly a lonely man who's lost his family. He needs a bit of support. It probably would help if he hadn't captured Grady in a net. But at this point, Grady knows that the man is, is not a werewolf. Yeah, but he is somebody who would just have a kid tied up in his house. If it were me that Which is really control. scary. My last scene would have just been the house looking nicer, like they've done all of the... Oh no, they do, they, they do do that a bit actually. There is, there is a bit near the end where you see Dad doing some painting of walls, which I frankly is going to need a lot more than a slap up job like that, but... <laughs> yeah, it's like blood stains and dry <laughs> yeah. like, I think magnolia paint on top of it. Yeah, like that, the house wasn't shabby, it was derelict. Like you need to do some serious structural work on that before you even begin to lift a paintbrush. Here's an idea, knock down that house, knock down Will's house, take Leave. over the whole land, <laughs> build a huge mansion, um, auction it off to Universal Studios. I, I mean, I, <laughs> it, yeah. oh, it's a Shrek joke! A Shrek joke. Oh no, that was DreamWorks, not Universal though. Don't they own them? Probably. 
I think Universal owns Shrek. Oh, they do as well. No, because I went to Universal Studios in Florida when I was younger and there was a Shrek uh, thingy there. Yeah. You're dead right, Gemma. You're dead right. I've been put in my place by myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think, like, why would they stay there if all of the deer are dead or have run off? Like, why are they still there? Yeah. Um, what, adapt having been slaughtered by a werewolf? Yeah. Again, this is, this is something that got me. He was doing science. So at the end of the report, presumably he did have to write, <laughs> like, day one, if <laughs> they ate this much, they weighed this much. Day two, some... They seem quite scared by this one. Day three, uh, killed by neighbour boy. <laughs> <laughs> as wolf, <laughs> please send more deer for study. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how he's gonna gonna sort that out. That one out with his know, academic. Let's hope he's self-funded. Let's hope. Well, one thing I do want to circle back to is, that, which I thought was actually quite quite well done. As I say, was the the sort of the parallel sneaking uh, by Grady and Emily in the two different houses, seeing which of them the wolf was going to go for first. I don't understand why chases have got to have that weird kind of like jumpy camera movement i don't i don't think it adds to suspense it's like you you sort of end up with like about four frames per second it might be fewer than that actually i don't know (laughs) (laughs) but i just i don't i don't get it because i i don't think it really adds to tension so much maybe maybe look because this is what like almost was 25 years old now and you know that was a relatively common thing uh, in in that era. So it might just be that it's a bit of a dated camera technique, but it does strike me as, as quite jarring because I don't think it really adds so much to menace. I don't it, like Evil Dead had been out for like over a decade at this point, and they Sam Raimi's camera that just kind of like comes through the mist and is the monster did yeah. a really really good job of that. I'm not I'm not advocating Nick and other people's stuff, but that you know steal Sam Raimi's camera movements and just use that in your in your show. But, you know, I also spent a lot of time thinking about uh, American Werewolf in London, which is again just a, a really good film, uh, and and how maybe borrowing some tips from there. Like obviously they probably don't have the budget to do a gruesome transformation in the same way that they did in that film. And I've got to say, even if you don't watch the whole film, it's a really good use of practical effects. I would recommend watching at least that scene from American Werewolf in London. As a warning, it is a bit gross. But they, they definitely could have done that. There are good, relatively budget, relatively easy ways of adding suspense in a werewolf story that basically they didn't go for. Yeah, I, I, don't, I thought Will looked all right at the end when he was half werewolf. I thought he looked kind of gross, kind of. Yeah, he, like he, he, he did look halfway between man and beast. And actually, I, I, yeah, as, I, as I've said, I think generally speaking, the production value of this episode was really quite good. You know, there are some bits of hit and miss dialogue, but mostly not bad. The thing that I was expecting, which I didn't get so much of, was a ton of exposition in dialogue. Whereas actually, although the dialogue was kind of, as you said, Ollie, utilitarian, I don't think it was just sort of, you know, pure exposition where they're sort of saying, well, we're in the swamp now. And because we're in a swamp, uh, you know, we're going to run into some big troubles, such as big monsters. Now, like they they say things like that, but it's never as, as, you know, on the nose. Uh, yeah, you know, again, low-budget TV show. I think actually the, the the effects were pretty good. Most of the acting was not bad. Like the the, the sister, I thought wasn't great. I think Will was oh a bit too obviously I menacing boy. We haven't even talked about her hat. At one point, Emily comes downstairs with the most ridiculous hat on, and when we were watching this, you and I just looked at each other and and we just laughed before we could say nothing. 
There were no words for the hat, and the hat can remained you, on for the rest of the episode for some reason. You know, can, I'll can make you, it the thumbnail. And <laughs> can you find some words for the hat? Because A, I can't remember it, and B, listeners might be interested. It, what were the words for the hat? It was, it was, uh, it was floral. A, it was ugly. Ugly, very ugly. It made her look like she was perhaps 86. It was a very okay. old person hat. Incredibly old person. Is it, is it the kind of ugly hat that like a cool team might have worn in the 90s? Or like even at that point is it Probably. off? Maybe, yeah. It's what they could find that looked similar to what a cool team might have worn. I feel like berries were where it was at in the 90s. Berry's probably a little bit too cool city girl, you know? Was it a bit of berries, really? Yeah, they were way... I mean, I don't remember the 90s as such. But I remember berries being way cool when I was young. Yeah, as always, worth noting, uh, none of us were alive at the <laughs> recording of this show. Certainly not old enough to understand the. We were almost alive. <laughs> not, you know. Yeah, we might have been babies for some of those. But... Look, I was, look, in season one, I was busy gestating, okay? You know, it's <laughs> as simple as that. <laughs> Didn't have enough time for TV. <laughs> <laughs> Season one ended, a fortnight passed. And I yeah, perhaps, I mean, maybe my mum watched a lot of uh, Goosebumps while, you know, she was pregnant, which is why I've got such an affinity for the show. <laughs> and such a media unfounded hatred for Will, for some reason. Like, I, as I say, I, I, he treats Grady very poorly. Um, and I understand maybe why he does. I don't, I don't agree with his choice to do so. <laughs> Grady's out there trying to make a friend. He's reaching out to a weird kid. No, and I then... feel like the opposite was true. I feel like Grady was thrown this opportunity and he was like, oh, I've got loads of friends at home. I'll hang out with you. Oh, yeah. Like, I think, I think Grady's quite smug about it, but I do think the fact that Will pulls this prank where he's like, oh, no, I'm going to die and says, ha-ha, just kidding. Like, I love a prank. But I think the way he's like, you should have seen your face, you fucking moron. I can't believe you believed that. And then when he's like, oh, you know, the silver bullets thing, it's like, oh, well, you know, you shouldn't believe everything you hear. It's like, bitch, you just told me that. You just told me that. You can't then say, well, you can't believe everything you hear. Because now it's like, okay, well, I just don't trust you then. I won't believe anything you say, you fucking moron. So, I'm sorry, I've said a lot of strong words about Will. Your personal issue, though. Yeah. All I'm saying is, I feel like, you know, in my youth growing up, I wouldn't say I was necessarily a Grady as such, but I feel like I knew enough Wills to be like, honestly, it's not worth being your friend. It's frankly exhausting. This is not worth my time. You know, I feel like on the Grady Will spectrum, I'm at least like eighty percent Grady. <laughs> this is this is the new this is a new tag yourself. Are you a Grady or a Will? Uh, get in contact on our email as always. Uh, are you a Grady or a Will? We didn't get any uh, five hundred word essays after last week's request what? for them. We didn't get any five hundred. We didn't get any five hundred word essays. My God, sucking. Honestly, our, our audience is, uh, is terrible. It's like almost you should they be ashamed of yourself. It's like almost they don't want homework from podcasts. <laughs> almost. It can't be that, though. Maybe, maybe they wrote 500-word essays, but they were so personal and so profound that they thought, actually, I'm glad to have done this, but I can't share it because it means you know too what? much to me. That's if okay, you've done guys. that, that's valid and we love you. Well, I would like to see it still. <laughs> do, do <laughs> it like, I will, I'd love to pry. Don't get me wrong. I love to pry. <laughs> Spying, prying, uh, creeping, um, ogling, uh, you know, all, all classic activities that uh, Ollie and Jim are big fans of. Mostly what I'd like is for you to print it out and then get like one of those uh, 
one of those black markers and like kind of censor out all the bits you're unhappy with. So it's like a cool CIA document. I think well, I, really but I, feel, I feel like we've got some decent homework for this week, right? Which is we've recommended several better things to watch. <laughs> if you're looking for a good werewolf story, an American werewolf in London, if you're looking for a classic R.L. Stein format, uh, you go for Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. If you enjoy zombies, I can't remember how we got to that, but watch the George A. Romero version of Dawn of the Dead, then watch the remake and be like, it's pretty good, but like, not as good. Uh, and then don't watch anything else by Zack Snyder because he's just not, it's just not very good. You know, if there's, if one person listening to this, as a result, watches both Dawn of the Dead films and gets in contact, then our next episode will be a Dawn of the Dead special. Oh, no, please don't. <laughs> Please don't get in contact with that one. I don't want to have to watch Dawn of the Dead. I don't watch anything this. made before 2010 is garbage. <laughs> <laughs> no. The Lord dumbest, of the Rings came out in the early 2000s. The dumbest hot take I've, I've ever made. It's, it, it's not even. It's uh, not even the dumbest hot take you've ever made. Not even this episode. My 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 brother won't watch any film made before what 2005. That can't be true. That's true. That's absolute. Um, is he eight? What? Just doesn't. Anything's like come out before then, he's just he just switches off. He just goes away. Wow. R.L. Stein had one more jokey joke for us. He did, yeah. He did. I loved this. I loved this. Because in case you didn't get it the first time, he sort of makes it very clear subsequently. So he says, you know, just so you know, werewolves aren't real, and he raises his big werewolf arm and he waves, and as if that wasn't enough, he then <laughs> crosses his arms. So that his werewolf arm is very much in the light in the centre of the camera. It's like, yeah, I got it the first time, man. I can see you waving with big claws. Like, it looks like a really unnatural pose, the way he crosses his arm with his, with, you know, crosses his arms with his giant werewolf hands. What a silly man. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a big fan. I like how Arl Stein looks so confused to be presenting this show. Uh, this is the thing. He delivers he's everything. He's not a presenter. No, he's absolutely a, a dry. Like, it's very uncomfortable for him to be doing it. It's very uncomfortable for us to be watching... Why is this happening? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, this, as, as I you know, mentioned before, this gets so, so well parodied by, it's Matthew Holness playing it in, in Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Matthew Holness plays Garth Marenghi it, with this just incredible bravado of a man tooting his own horn with absolutely no charm or charisma whatsoever. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely beautiful to see. He just comes across um, like a petulant man-child. I mean, I mean, the show's pretty much over. This is, this is just... It's just a conversation. Uh, I, we do a bit... It's like this is the end of the show. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the whole first season of The Goose Hunt. Yeah, we should we probably should. Thank you, Joe, for joining us for the final episode of our of our first season on the air. I can't believe we've got through a whole season of this. We have. We're a quarter of a way through this project. Oh my now. god. I've been I've I've absolutely loved it, I've gotta say. It's been great fun uh, watching high quality TV. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's been a delight. I think the, the problem that we've got is that in this day and age, we're so starved of good TV content. Um, they really call it the they call it like the 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 Bronze Age of cinema and the Bronze Age of television these days, don't they? So it's a crying shame. I've I've not seen a good TV show in a, a, you know, I guess twenty years. Uh, so I'm glad that finally, we, you know, we're going back to the good old days uh, of of. Again, that sort of four frames per second chase scene, which <laughs> I, I consider the height of suspense. Uh, but no, in all seriousness, it's been lovely. I, I enjoyed watching the, uh, the shows. I've enjoyed chatting uh, no, and, and theorising. Higher brow show. I feel very intellectual. I feel yeah, like we've yeah. learned a lot. 
And I thank you for that. It's been you, a wonderful you had experience. A, you had a lot of opinions on this that uh, neither of us would have had, no, I think. never would have got as deep yeah. as we could have. Great. And of course, thank you, Gemma, for being on the show for a full season now. Yeah, well, the thing is that I've noticed, right, is that this was in payment for doing my podcast, and which you, you don't you do anymore. Do what do you mean don't do anymore? So, you didn't do it. Yeah, so I think, I think you owe me. You something. chickened out, you coward. People died, Oliver. I couldn't do a Glee podcast. Yeah, fair. It was, a, it was perhaps the wrong it moment was the wrong for moment. a Glee podcast. Definitely. Before the next season, perhaps people suggest more homework. People suggest what, what you can do as payment for my time. Uh, we'll have a special uh, Gemma's episode in between seasons, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Uh, what, so, where you watch a film that I love and that you'll hate, and then we'll just talk about it for like an hour and a half. Yeah, that sounds right. Oh, this sounds great fun, but like, what kind of film would Ollie hate? I can't, I don't mean this is a great insult, Ollie. I can imagine you finding something good in even the worst show, and that's not because of optimism, but I think it's because you'd have fun tearing it apart. I, I, I can work with, with anything. We did start recording that Glee podcast, and mm. I was, and it was remarkable you how much invested. there was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, to, it's a busy show. Anyway, we should also thank one more person. The audience. You, the listener. I thought, I thought you were going to say me again. I was, I was ready. <laughs> I was like, he's back! No, I get it, yeah. <laughs> well, you should also be a listener. Oh, that would have been a better bit. But instead, I'm going to be sincere and say thank you, audience. No, not sincere. Why have they listened to a whole season of this? They're not even watching the show. They're just listening to us talk about the show. Hey, they might be watching the show as well. You don't know that. They might be following along at home. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast instead of watching <laughs> Goosebumps TV show. Join us in two weeks for us discussing a film. Favorite. Something awful. I'm going to find something awful. No, I'm going to find something great that I'll love. And I'm just very excited. Please don't hate me for my choices. I now feel the stress about... This is why I'm running a show, because I don't like the stress of being judged for my, my TV choices. Anyway, thanks, listeners. Thank it's you. been fun for you, I guess. Not for me. <laughs> you do this for enjoyment. I'm here against my will. See you next time. See you in a couple of weeks. Bye. Bye. They can't see you <laughs> yeah, no, so what I thought I would do is it's your show. I don't want to say goodbye because I was just I've already said my little guest a bit. Goodbye. Well, I, I figured if I say goodbye, it's like I'm taking a bit too much ownership here. I was just a guest, you know, for like the two best episodes, I assume. So, um, I just so, really lended a soul to a soulless show. Right? <laughs> what I've done is I've swept in here and frankly saved a sinking ship. I say that having never heard your show, it might be great. 